This Corbin Talk features from Morningstar Community Church, Pastor John Jeskilka, recorded live at Corbin University in 2020. How's everyone doing? Good. Thanks for making it here to chapel. And as Ben said, Corbin alum, my wife and I, Love this place and a lot of great experiences here, but also a lot of embarrassing moments. Uh, when I was a sophomore here living in PVG, uh, it was one night and a bunch of um, friends got in my car and I, for whatever reason, decided to drive way too fast down uh, the Warrior Drive hill down. And I lost complete control of my car and went over the embankment and landed in the baseball field parking lot. And it was one of those times where like everyone knew that it happened because in my car were a bunch of basketball players and one of them messed up his hand and couldn't play for a couple days. So that was super embarrassing. And then another story also to do with basketball. I was the video filmer for the team, uh, making sure they could get scouting reports and watch their game tape. And the way the gym was set up at the time, I don't know if it still is, but in the booth where you film from, all the lights for the entire gymnasium are right behind the chair that I was sitting in. And the guy was getting ready to shoot a free throw, and I had the camera zoomed in right there, and I was like, this is, I'm gonna just relax a little bit. So I just kinda leaned back in my chair and happened to turn off all the lights in the gym. Totally messed up the game. And those lights take a long time to warm back up, and so, we just hung out for a while, and everyone was looking at me. It was awesome. So a couple, couple fun stories there. And as Ben mentioned, after we graduated, I graduated in 07. Uh, my wife, Betsy, we weren't married at the time, but she graduated in 08. And then she came back and served at Agard, and we were there for three years. So I was the only man to live in Agard for, for quite some time, and it, I survived. And it was awesome. So we love this place. We also have two sons, Toby and Jackson. Toby's almost five, and Jackson's two and a half. And they are maybe future Corbinites. We'll see. Um, again, thanks for coming here to chapel. And I hope this time is valuable for you. My heart for you is beyond Corbin that you would be people that get plugged into churches and serve churches, wherever God leads you. And that starts now as college students, as many of you have left home and um, are now in this, this time of life that's so exciting and full. And uh, I just hope and pray that you guys jump into churches. You're always welcome to come to Morningstar, but what is more important to me is that you would be going somewhere. And the challenge is you take Bible classes. I think a minor is required in Bible. You have chapels, and the temptation could be like, I don't need church. I don't need to go to church. But if you're not going to be involved with the church now, what's going to make you think you're going to be involved with the church later? And you guys are learning way too much good information and training to just be sitting on the bench somewhere, not using what God has given you to use. And the, the reason why I uh, picked this passage to speak on in James was because I want this to be an equipping passage for your future. Because I hope in this room there are people here that are involved with their churches, 
even if you work elsewhere, teaching Sunday school, involved in women's ministries and men's ministries, leading life groups and community groups, being elders, helping lead and run your church. This passage in James talks about a really big problem that was happening in the church in Jerusalem. And that same problem is happening in our churches today. And I wanted to give some perspective on that and for us to then be able to do something about that as we will be leading for Jesus. So if you have your Bibles or the YouVersion app, we're going to be in uh, James chapter 2. Now the book of James, this is all the whole theme of the whole book is putting faith at work. So what we believe, how that then gets fleshed out and put into action. And right in between James uh, 2, we have James 1, which talks about the famous passage of taking care of widows and orphans. And then right after in James 3 is then this another charge of putting your faith at work. And that means now that James 2 is a clear example of how to put your faith into action, how to do Christ-honoring work. So I'm going to read in James 2, 1 through 3. My brothers, so show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit there in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down in my feet. So we have this scenario happening in James, one of the lead pastors in the church of Jerusalem, the half-brother of Jesus, and we have this situation that likely literally happened in one of their churches. And at the very same time, two people enter the assembly for worship. One comes in and he is just, he's coming in with Tom Brady amount of rings on his hand, nice clothing, looking good, and everyone pays special attention to him, and they take him to the Phil Knight skybox and give him the best seat in the house, and he gets all this special attention, and they put him in the place of honor to worship based on what he looks like. And again, at the very same time, someone comes in dressed in shabby clothing, probably their only pair, dirty holes in the jeans, and not the cool kind of holes in the jeans, but the rugged, ragged kind. And he comes in, and what they do is horrific. They say, we don't have a seat for you, even though at the very exact moment, they're taking the rich guy to the best seat in the place. And they say, you could stand over here in the corner, or if you really want to sit down, you can come and sit at our feet, which was a horrible thing because that was literally what they're saying. You could come, sit at our feet, and we could then rest our feet on your back. This word was used for generals who conquer armies, bringing their slaves back from war and then using them as a place of shame of literally putting their feet on their back. And what James is saying here is that this is wicked, that this is sin and that's why he says at the very beginning, show no partiality. And students, this is happening so often in our churches, in our places of worship. We find the people that have more influence, more money, more wealth, 
and we pay special attention to them, and then we ignore those that have less. We don't pay any attention to them, and even worse, we discriminate against them. Something that we need to stop. Now we see this in our world all the time. I mean, there's so much injustice that takes place all throughout the globe. We see it in different ways, in different cases. We see people who look good, who have money, who have fame, who have obvious talent. We put them on pedestals and we give them more and we give them privilege and then they can then use the privilege to get what they want when they want it. And that's something that happens all the time out there in the world. And that's one thing. And many of you and many of us, that upsets us. We're justice-oriented. We want to try to do something different. And we take on these causes and we try to do different things to make headway with these injustices that are happening in our culture. And that is a wonderful, amazing thing to do that we should keep doing. But it is completely different and unacceptable This must never be the case in our churches. Big or small, no matter the denomination, no matter the the place of worship, people should be treated the same. Our churches should be places where rich and poor, significant people and insignificant people are treated exactly the same. There should be no difference. There should be no prejudice, no favoritism. So how do we do this? A key in doing this is found at the end of verse 1. I'll read it again. It says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So we know that partiality means favoritism, prejudice, It is this unjust distinction between people by treating one another or a group of people better than another. And the word literally means to accept a face. So it's based on outward appearances, outward dress and looks and different things. And the Romans had this thing with accepting the face where they would literally, if they saw someone that they liked and accepted and looked good, had influence and significance, they would literally nod up if they accepted them, or nodded down if they rejected them. So how do we avoid this? We know it's wrong. I mean, the Bible says throughout Scripture it's wrong. In Deuteronomy 16, 19, it says, You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality. And you shall not accept a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. And then in Galatians 2.6, the Apostle Paul says this, And from those who seem to be influential, which they were makes, which what they were makes no difference to me, God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. So Paul is able to avoid the trap of someone that has influence and privilege using them to promote their agenda. So the key of this at the end of verse 1, James is talking, show no partiality, and he says this, as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. 
And students, understanding the glory of God is essential to treating everyone the same. So what is God's glory? God's glory is his created brightness. It is his essence. It is attached to his character as we know him. It is bright. It is powerful. It is splendid. The Bible actually says in 1 Timothy 6 that no one can approach the glory of God. His splendor is too bright. His glory is too massive that no one can approach him. His glory is too strong. The Bible says that if it wasn't God intervening, if we were to see God in his glory, we wouldn't be able to survive because it is so powerful. Why is this key? Why is this critical? What this means is this. In God's economy, there is God and everyone else. Students, please hear me when I say that. In God's economy, there is God and then there is everyone else. There's no cool kids table, tears, levels, clicks. It's God and the rest. God and then flesh and blood, air-breathing humans. And we all breathe and eventually we will all breathe our last. Isaiah 2.22 says this, Stop regarding, lifting up, raising up man in whose nostrils is breath. For of what account is he? Meaning, as great as a person is, as fast as they can run, as good as they can sing, as smart as they are in education, they're a person that breathes air. They are mortal, and one day they are going to die, and then what? It's God and everyone else. So imagine here today in this chapel service if the door opened and in came LeBron James and Alicia Keys. I mean, you, this place would be on fire with the buzz and the talking and the, the hype around these people. I mean, it would be out of control if they came in and sat down. I mean, this place would be going crazy and campus would be talking about it for weeks and months if they showed up. But then what would we do if in here in chapel or in our churches and in our community someone comes in and it's a single mom with four kids crying babies, wrestling, trying to find seats and nursery classes for their kids. What would we do if someone came into our church who was homeless, who smelled bad, who had a bag of bottles around their, their back? What would you do if someone came in with cerebral palsy, having a hard time controlling their bodily functions and their noises? How would you treat them in comparison to LeBron and Alicia? The Bible says, show no partiality. Treat everyone the same, because in God's economy, we are the same. This is important because of what it says in verse 4. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? 
And we all know that judge, being judgmental is a buzzword in our culture today. Everyone in the world looking at the church says Christians do this and are judgmental. And one of the ways we do that is by showing favoritism and having classes and different levels of people, even though we're not to make distinctions. What is a judge? A judge is someone who decides. In our society, we have judges that decide right and wrong, innocent or guilty, criminal or victim. These are the responsibilities of human judges, but in morality... God is the only one to judge. It says this in Isaiah 33 and Psalm 7. That it is about God who judges. And so when we take that upon ourselves to make classes of people, to treat some people better than others, we are becoming judgmental. And in verses 5 and 7, I'm not going to read these verses, but James calls out the church for this. He asks them all these questions over and over and over again, and he says, you missed it. You got it wrong. I mean, remember what you were like when you were slaves in Egypt, how you were treated, how you were oppressed, and now we are here as this church in freedom, and we're doing the very same thing that the Egyptians did to us. And the irony of this in that time, in that culture, it was the rich people in Jerusalem that were causing so much pain and havoc on the Jerusalem church. And James is saying, don't be like them. Be different. Treat the poor like you would treat everyone else. And then he says this in verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. What is this royal law? It's the greatest law. It's the supreme law brought in by royal King Jesus. James is quoting Leviticus 18 and 19 and Matthew 22, 36 through 40, a very common passage of the greatest commandment of loving God and loving others which is our charge as Christians. As this goes on, James is saying, favoritism unleashes the power of sin and shows us that we are law breakers, not just in title, but in status. So that now leads us to verses 12 and 13 that I'm going to read, which says this. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy. To one who has shown no mercy, mercy triumphs over judgment. So what does mercy mean? Mercy means to show kindness and concern to someone who is in serious need. And so you have these contrasting themes here where if you show favoritism and partiality, you are being judgmental. When you treat people well and all the same, you are being merciful. For judgment is without mercy. To the one who has shown no mercy, mercy triumphs over judgment. What this is saying is anyone who is new in Christ, anyone who has become a new creation, anyone where the old is gone and the new has come, They have experienced so much mercy 
from God the Father. I mean, anything and everything in us is against God when we are born into this world. What we deserve is death and punishment. And God in his mercy sent his son so that we could be right with him and in a relationship with him. And if we lose sight of that, the consequences are enormous because we have all been shown mercy by God the Father when we trust Jesus as our Savior. And so a reasonable person, because they have been given much and have experienced much, they would turn and show mercy to one another. And students, this is needed in our churches today. And it is needed by you to help lead your churches where everyone is treated on equal playing ground. So how do we then apply this? Like how do we then put this into motion? It's a, a reasonably simple passage. Don't show favoritism, treat everyone well, and move on. But I want to give a few ideas and a few examples of how we can put this into action. First, don't judge others by showing favoritism because it is costly to the church. And clearly, it's obvious to not do the big things. I mean, the examples I've given in this message, that's pretty obvious, but we tend to group and be with the people who are like us and think like us and act like us And those become our tribes and our communities that we stay in and we become isolated within those. And because of nothing that is meant to be ill will towards others, we then miss showing mercy and kindness to the people around us because we miss it and we're not focusing. So it takes intentionality to get outside of your comfort zones, and your areas where you naturally connect. Don't judge others by showing favoritism. How this can look in churches. You've already heard the example in, in the beginning part of James 2 of wealthy people coming in who have influence and different titles and different amounts of money. And it is so easy to just see the people in the church flocking to those people to help them feel welcome. I did this myself uh, a while back when I was pastoring in Eugene. And those of you from the area in Eugene, the king of the city are the Oregon Ducks. Everyone down there loves the Ducks. They're popular. They're huge. And at our church, uh, at our church, on one Sunday the Oregon football coach actually came to our church and came to our service. And on that Sunday, I was up in front. I was doing announcements. I was welcoming everyone. And I didn't know the coach was in the service at that time. But then after the service, everyone, I mean, just the example I gave, if LeBron and Alicia came afterwards, I mean, the place was just lit with everyone talking. Do you see the coach? He's here. Buzz, buzz, buzz. Everyone was losing their minds And I was one of them. I mean, I was looking high and low everywhere to try to find that coach, to shake his hand, to get to know him, to welcome him to our church. And my motives were completely off. They were wrong. James would describe them as sinful. 
They're disgusting. What was I thinking? And all the time, I'm missing the student and the child with special needs that needs extra help to feel comfortable in a very, very scary and anxious situation. And during that time, I'm missing the new person and the single mom and the person who's never been there before because I'm looking for some coach when a thousand other people are looking for that same coach. We must not do this in our churches. Next, don't judge others by mistreating them. This is the same type of thing, just the other side of the coin. But there are people around you with different external circumstances, and let's not treat them differently. So a few challenges for you and a few things for you to apply. Do you spend time with people who come from challenging economic backgrounds? Are you spending time with them, hearing their stories, learning what it is like to live a life in poverty? And maybe that is your experience and maybe that is your background. How does that play in with you stepping out as well and providing help for others in different challenging circumstances. And if you're not doing this, why not? Do you spend time with people who have special needs? Are you getting to know them and hearing their stories and finding out the challenges with the basic things in life? And if you're not, why not? Do you spend time with people from various ethnic and cultural backgrounds, finding out what it is like to be in, in a minority, finding out what it is like in our culture and in our systems and circumstances? Do you have friends that look different than you, think different than you, so that you can help meet their different needs and situations? And if you're not developing friendships with people who are different than you, why aren't you? Because that is what our churches need. Our churches need us to come together, to be united. Because remember, in God's economy, it is God and everyone else. And it is his son, Jesus. And if he came here to chapel, if he came like he came to like the first time, we'd all miss him, because back when he came the first time, almost everyone missed him. But if he came and he revealed himself like he did on the Mount of Transfiguration and let all of his glory be seen, let his divine attributes be seen, it would draw us to him in a way that we could not take our eyes off of him. He would be the center and the focus of our complete attention because that is how amazing his glory and his brightness is. And if we did that, we wouldn't care that someone like LeBron or Alicia were on our right or our left. We would just be caring about Jesus. And with this, we must remember that at the foot of the cross is level ground. At the foot of the cross, there's level ground. Economics don't matter. Education doesn't matter. 
ability doesn't matter, race doesn't matter, gender doesn't matter, because we are all level. And when we do that, we can treat each other well, not show favoritism or partiality, and in doing so, showing the world what mercy looks like. And students, our churches need this, and they need you to lead the way in this as you continue to plug in, grow, and develop in the world for Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you guys, and then we'll be done. Lord, thank you for this passage in James and the reminder to treat people well, the reminder to not show favoritism. And Lord, it's so easy for us to be in our places of comfort. It's so easy for us to be around those that are similar. Lord, give us eyes and a, and a heart and a care and mercy to care because of what we've experienced to treat other people well, to treat other people the same, and to be caring to all people, no matter their background or their experiences. Thank you for this time. I pray for these students with school, with pressure, with stresses. Lord, I pray that you would comfort them and provide what they need for success. Lord, give them peace that is beyond anything they can experience. Help them to do well. And thank you for how you will use them for their kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for having me. Have a great week, guys. A great day. It was a pleasure.